can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Hey guys, it's Thursday, and I am Rudy Stankwitz, and we are here with CPO Thursdays, and I was asked a question about my background, and I've done a bunch of different things in the pool industry. I had a good stint in retail, worked for a couple of different manufacturers, and then I did what you do. I was a pool guy, took care of residential pools, but I also took care of a lot of commercial facilities. And the commercial facilities that I maintained were mostly student housing facilities. So I promise if you have horror stories, I can keep up. I can go head to head because I've seen some crazy shit for sure. One of my favorite calls was a 911 call from a CAM, a community association manager who said, you got to get out here quick. Now you guys know that I'm in Gainesville, Florida, right? So this was right after homecoming. They, the message was, the students tried to dye the pool orange and blue at the same time. So basically what they did was they poured paint in from each side, orange paint on one side, blue from the other side, and it made this lovely gunmetal blech is about the best way to describe it. So I had to run out for that one. But everything from mattresses, television sets, barbecue grills, fire extinguishers, chunks of meat for some reason. That happened on a regular occasion. All that fun stuff. Anyhow, this is CPO Thursdays. We're going to talk today about disinfection, which ties into some of those things that we just mentioned. Before I go grab my cup of coffee, I'm going to tell you guys, if you're looking for a CPO class, hit me up on my website, cpoclass.com. Check the schedule registration page, the CPO certification schedule page. There you will have a listing of all of my in-person and virtual classes. You can meet up with me. The next class I have coming up is in Fort Walton Beach. Or you can hit me virtually from anywhere on the world. As long as you have an internet connection, you're good to go. The other tab that I want you to take a look at there, no matter what you're doing, whether you're just refreshing or taking the class or you're just here to listen to some of the things that we go through, there's a tab on my page. Again, my website is cpoclass.com, but one of the tabs is CPO Practice Test. And there I have a ton of prep materials, everything from flashcards to a practice test to some charts and sheets and such. You can upload, download, whatever, print them out, use those. A lot of great materials. Right now, time to go get my coffee. I'll be back in a few, and we'll talk about disinfection.
kill it before it kills you. That's what disinfection is all about. A lot of the different things that we're going to talk about, the disinfectants that we discuss in this class are registered by the EPA, which means that they're pursuant to the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, FIFRA, which means that they have to have a label on the bucket. All of these products are used in water treatment, drinking water treatment, which means the labeling on your bucket is drinking water requirement, which also means that it does state that you have a maximum acceptable chlorine level of four parts per million. That's something that you might see come up in the future. We've spoken about it on some of the other podcasts, how four parts per million is the maximum allowed level by law because it's on the bucket because of that FIFRA labeling requirement. Even though your state health department allows a one to 10 part per million chlorine level, what you're likely to see in the near future is that the model aquatic health code adopts that FIFRA requirement into its code, which states that you can have an acceptable range of chlorine from one part per million to four parts per million. I know that Michelle Havlasa, who heads up the swimming pool part of the CDC, and again, the Model Aquatic Health Code, that is a component of the CDC. She's trying to work with the EPA to separate the swimming pool water from the drinking water. I got my fingers crossed. I'm hoping she can do it. Michelle Havlasa, she's kind of a badass, so she might be able to knock this out. But if she cannot, you'll see that maximum acceptable level in swimming pools go to four parts per million, which could be a problem. When you add chlorine to water, no matter what type you add, chlorine forms hypochlorous acid. That's the killing form of chlorine. It also forms a hypochlorite ion. Together, that combination, hypochlorous acid and the hypochlorite ion, that's what we call free chlorine. That's the chlorine that does the sanitizing and disinfecting. Hypochlorous acid and the hypochlorite ion are in equilibrium with one of them. You have to have 100%. So if you have 75% hypochlorous acid, you have to have 25% hypochlorite ion. So the combination has to give you 100%. If you have 50% hypochlorous acid, you'll have 50% hypochlorite ion, so on and so forth. The amount of which you have is pH dependent. So at a pH of 7.5, that's where you have 50-50, 50% hypochlorous acid, 50% hypochlorite ion. And it's not that the hypochlorite ion does not sanitize and disinfect. It does. It is just weaker, much, much, much weaker than hypochlorous acid, about 300 times weaker. But it does still sanitize and disinfect. At a pH of 8.5, think about your saltwater pools. We only have 9% hypochlorous acid. That means we have 91% hypochlorite ion. So the chlorine that we have in the water at that point is not working that great. So why don't we end up with algae in our saltwater pools? We've talked about this before. Freshwater algae doesn't grow very well in saltwater. I'm not saying that it can't, but it does take a lot longer to get established, and it is harder for it to colonize. At a pH of 6.5, you have 91% hypochlorous acid. So how much hypochlorite ion would you have there? It's the difference between 100% and 91%. You're looking at 9% percent 
hypochlorite ion. And again, that combination of the two, like we said, that's what we call free chlorine. And when we say that your chlorine's effectiveness is pH dependent, this is exactly what we're referring to. This relationship between the hypochlorite ion and hypochlorous acid and how you have more hypochlorous acid at lower pHs and less at a high pH. Again, hypochlorous acid being what we consider the killing form of chlorine. When that free chlorine tries to sanitize or disinfect an ammonia-based contaminant, that's when we get combined chlorine, or we call them chloramines sometimes. So ammonia is one nitrogen and three hydrogen ions. When chlorine tries to sanitize that, what happens is the chlorine atom actually displaces a hydrogen ion, and what you get is one nitrogen, two hydrogen, one chlorine. That's monochloramine. If I was to add a little bit more chlorine to the water, another chlorine atom would displace another hydrogen ion, and I would have one nitrogen, two chlorine, and one hydrogen. So it would go from monochloramine to dichloramine. If I added a little bit more chlorine to the water, Again, it would happen, except now what I end up with is one nitrogen, three chlorine, and I have trichloramine. And trichloramine tends to gas off, and then the wind blows it away. That's what happens when you shock the pool. You force that transformation. You go from monochloramine to dichloramine to trichloramine. It gases off above the water, and then the wind blows it away. This is why it's important to use that third yellow bottle in your DPD drop test. I know we use DPD-1 and 2, DPD-1, DPD-2, five drops of each. That in the smaller vial, that gives me my free chlorine reading. I know everybody does that. But that third yellow bottle, that's the one that's easy to find in your test kit because it's that's the one that's still full. Five drops of that to the solution that already contains DPD-1 and 2, that gives me my total chlorine reading. The difference between the two, that's my combined chlorine level. So if when I add the five drops of DPD-3 to my solution that already contains DPD-1 and 2, if the solution gets darker, purplish red or whatever you want to call that color, that would indicate I have a combined chlorine level. And whatever that difference is, is the combined chlorine level. So again, total chlorine minus free chlorine equals combined chlorine. That's the chlorine that we don't want. It's weak. It's an irritant. It can bother people's eyes. It can irritate the skin. It has an odor. I can get a free chlorine level in a pool of up to 30 parts per million without you noticing an odor. However, a combined chlorine level as low as 0.2 parts per million will have, you know, that smack-in-the-face smell that burns your eyes when you first walk into a natatorium, that odor, as low as 0.2 parts per million. It doesn't take much. So we want to get rid of that. And the way we get rid of that is by shocking the pool, which means that if you're not using that third yellow bottle, DPD number three, you don't know when you need to shock your pool. You're winging it. So you're either going by the rule of thumb and doing it once a week to every 10 days, which they came up with for homeowners, by the way, because they don't plan on them using that third yellow bottle, or you're not doing it frequently enough. We use disinfectants in the water because they kill a whole ton of things. And disinfectants do oxidize, but there is a difference between oxidizers and disinfectants and what it comes down to 
although they both kill and sanitize and do all that, the big difference between the two is that in order for something to be classified as disinfectant, it has to leave a measurable residual in the water. You have your pool right now. There's chlorine in it. We know that we're only feeding chlorine while the pump was running. If your pump was to die right now, knock on wood, in two hours, would you still be able to detect a chlorine level with your test kit? Yeah, depending on the bather load. Still, even if it was only 20 minutes, I would have a residual for 20 minutes, and that's the residual that I'm talking about. That's the measurable residual. Even after I stopped adding it, it's still there. It's still giving us protection after we stopped adding it to the water. Some residential pools, they shut off at 5 p.m. They kick back on the next morning. You know what? If you went out the next morning before that pump kicked on, you'd still have chlorine in the water. That's the residual that we're talking about. This is why ozone, which is a much better oxidizer than chlorine, is not considered a disinfectant. Because once the pump stops, the ozone stops being produced and it is gone. There just ain't none. It left. The same thing with UV. It only sanitizes what passes that bulb. As soon as the water stops passing the bulb, it sanitizes no more. That's why those aren't classified as disinfectants. That's why if you have one of those supplemental oxidizers, as good as they are at oxidizing, you still have to maintain a chlorine level in the water because you need the disinfectant because it leaves that measurable residual that you have to give you constant protection, even if the pump should go down. Knock on wood. Some types of chlorine will raise your pH. Some types of chlorine will lower your pH. Others, no effect on the pH whatsoever. So if you look at something like trichlor, your stabilized chlorine tablets, either one inch, three inch, or you can get that in a granule, that product is acidic. It will bring your pH down. So expect to have to raise your pH if you're using that product. If you're using sodium dichlor, we don't recommend that a lot for commercial pools because every time you add a dose, it also adds a good amount of cyanuric acid to the water. And we know that once our cyanuric acid level reaches 90 parts per million, we need to lower that cyanuric acid level. And the only way we can lower that cyanuric acid level, you have to replace water. You have to drain the pool, either partially or completely. Why do we use cyanuric acid at all? Cyanuric acid acts almost like a sunblock from chlorine. It protects that hypochlorous acid that we need, the killing form of chlorine, from being burnt up by the sun's UV rays. So this way it stays in the water long enough to sanitize and disinfect. Without it, we would go through a ton more chlorine. And there are facilities that do. I have a pool, 1 million gallons of water here in Florida. Big, big competition pool known worldwide for triathlete training. They don't maintain a cyanuric acid level at all. Zero. And they use chlorine, and they maintain their pool perfectly fine. In Florida, we got UV, man. Products like liquid chlorine, calcium hypochlorite, those will raise your pH. But there's a big controversy. Do they really raise your pH or don't they? Here's the thing. When we add chlorine to water, like we mentioned before, what we get is hypochlorous acid. That is the killing form of chlorine. You know this. We just discussed this. However, as 
it uses itself up and it does use itself up as it sanitizes and disinfects. This is an acidic process. And what we end up with is more hydrogen in the water. So we get hydrogen from that and hydrogen that affects the pH because the pH is the measurement of hydrogen activity in that body of water. So liquid chlorine and calcium hypochlorite, the initial dose will raise your pH. However, as the chlorine uses itself up, it should bring it back down pretty much to where it started from, unless the product you're using is liquid chlorine and they manufactured it with excess lye. And that's not an uncommon practice. They do this to lengthen the shelf life of the product. We discussed before that you have more hypochlorous acid when the pH is low. You have more hypochlorite ion when the pH is high. So to keep the product more stable until you put it in the water, they like to keep the pH of that product high. And if they add excess lye to the product, that drop in pH that you would normally experience, you will not. And that's why liquid chlorine raises pH, because of something extra done in the manufacturing process. How much it raises it by, or if it comes back down to where it started from, depends heavily upon the manufacturer from whom you've purchased that liquid chlorine, depending on the amount of excess lye they put in the material. Now, as far as calcium hypochlorite goes, this does not exist. If you give it a long enough period of time after you add your dose of calcium hypochlorite, you'll see that that pH comes back into check. Will it happen quick enough that you can risk a health official not showing up and closing the pool? I wouldn't chance it. I would still adjust my pH anyway. But I do want you to know that it does give you an initial boost, but then it does come back down. And again, that's because the process in which chlorine uses itself up is an acidic process. I did say that there was one that wouldn't affect the pH at all, and that product is the one that I said we don't recommend to use in commercial pools, sodium dichlor. Close to neutral, close enough that your pH isn't going to move when you add it. Your cyanuric acid level will, but your pH will be fine. Liquid chlorine and calcium hypochlorite, those two products do not contain cyanuric acid. So when you add those, you are not increasing that cyanuric acid level. But because of that, it's a good idea to establish a cyanuric acid bank in the water to protect the chlorine that you're getting from those two products. That is, unless you live in New York, in which case, guess what, homies? No cyanuric acid for you. Trichlor, dichlor, those products have cyanuric acid in them. So every time you add, you're increasing that cyanuric acid level. Every time you add two tablets, what you're doing is increasing your cyanuric acid level by six parts per million. That's two three-inch tablets. It doesn't take long for you to build up to a level that's too high. One hot summer will do it. One hot summer in a pool with a decent bather load, you'll go from 30 to 50 parts per million of cyanuric acid, which is the ideal range, to well over 100 parts per million and put yourself in a position where you need to replace water. If you are in a market that uses trichlor for disinfectant in commercial pools, one of the common practices is that we alternate during the winter months. During the summer, use the trichlor. Then November through March, use liquid chlorine or calcium hypochlorite. That way, these levels don't build so quickly because you know your customer. And when I say your customer, that's whoever pays you to take care of that pool. If you're on-site maintenance, then your customer is your CAM, Community Association Manager. If you are a pool service professional, 
still the same customer, right? Still the same person that pays you. They're not going to want to drain the pool. Nobody ever wants to drain the pool. But sometimes you need to drain the pool. There's some labeling on the bucket that I'd like to clarify. You'll see on the bucket it says ACC, percentage of ACC. You'll also see percentage of active strength. These can be a little bit confusing. Back when there was only chlorine gas, when they decided that they were going to start to put these into different delivery systems, whether it be a tablet, a liquid, a granule, what have you, they needed to come up with a way to measure the strength of this product. That's what ACC is. All this is is a comparison of the strength of that product compared to chlorine gas, period. Has nothing to do with how much chlorine is in the bucket. It's just the strength of that chemical. So, for example, if we look at trichlor, your three-inch tablets, trichlor tablets are 90% available chlorine content, ACC. That means they are 90% as strong as chlorine gas. But you'll also see... And I'm talking about the stuff we normally have, not the crap we've been getting in since this whole chlorine shortage started, that the active strength percentage is greater than 99%. That's telling me is greater than 99% of what's in that bucket is chlorine. It's just that the chlorine in that bucket is only 90% as strong as chlorine gas. That's how I would read that. If you're dealing with liquid chlorine, liquid chlorine is one of the only ones where the net weight percentage is identical to the percent available chlorine content. If you're looking at 10% liquid chlorine, then the percent available chlorine content, that's what ACC stands for, then the percent available chlorine content is also 10%. It's the only product where you can say a gallon of 10% Liquid chlorine in 10,000 gallons of water will give me a free chlorine level of 10 parts per million. If it was a gallon of 12% liquid chlorine, that one gallon of 12% liquid chlorine in 10,000 gallons would give me 12 parts per million of free chlorine. If I decided I was going to go get a bottle of Clorox off the shelf at Publix or your local grocery store, Piggly Wiggly, I don't know where you shop, AMP, doesn't matter. One gallon of Clorox at 6% ACC available chlorine content in 10,000 gallons of water will give you six parts per million of free chlorine. Is it okay to use bleach off the supermarket shelves? In a pinch? Sure. If you can't find what you need at distribution, or let's say that there's a disaster, a hurricane, a tornado, and you can't get through to the stores, but you want to keep the pools in good shape, but you can get through to your local grocery store and they have bleach on the shelves, by all means, grab it. Like I said, one gallon of 6% will give you six parts per million of chlorine, but you don't want to use the splashless bleach because there isn't very much bleach in the splashless bleach. It's only like a quarter of a percent to 1%. The rest of the stuff is all schmutz. And we don't want to put no more schmutz in the pool than we have to. What about bromine? Who put chlorine in my bromine? They have to. Otherwise, it won't work. Bromide ions are lazy and don't do a damn thing. They need a kick in the ass to get going. And that kick in the ass in the tablet is the chlorine. They need some type of oxidizer to oxidize it into its killing form, which is hyperbromous acid. Without it, nada. Bromine plus chlorine gives you a product that brominates. That's how that works. Even if you were to add a pound or two of that treat to handle 
a mustard algae problem, what you're doing is you're converting that pool to a bromine pool until you've added enough chlorine to gas off the bromine that you put in. Why would anybody use bromine? There are some definite advantages, but there also are some disadvantages. First off, it is expensive as funk. There is no known stabilizer for bromine, so in an outdoor pool, the sun's UV rays will burn off a lot of that bromine extremely quickly. Bromine does not gas off at high temperatures like chlorine does, which makes this an ideal product for a hot water environment. Bromine is also more effective at a high pH. If you're thinking of a spa, the pH in a spa is more likely to be high because they have blowers. And when you add bubbles to the water, it creates turbulence. When you create turbulence, you cause the aqueous carbon dioxide in that solution to outgas. When it leaves the water, it brings the pH upward. So that spa, that hot tub is more likely to have a high pH. So it's important that we have a product that works well with a high pH and bromine does that. Bromine tends to be a better algicide than chlorine simply for the reason that it has no attraction to cyanuric acid. So it doesn't get slowed down by the amount of cyanuric acid in the water. That's why it's more effective at killing algae than chlorine is. That's why when you add that sodium bromide product to the water and it converts everything to bromine and none of it's attached to the cyanuric acid anymore and all of a sudden everything's a little bit more powerful because it's got nothing holding it back. The combined form of bromine doesn't have an odor. It doesn't smell. Not like the combined form of chlorine. Whew! That's some nasty stuff. But the combined form of bromine doesn't smell, which is also important. If you think of a heated body of water, there's a lot more going on in that body of water. We abuse the heck out of that body of water. We put more people into that body of water than should ever be in that body of water. Sometimes it looks like a clown car. They just keep getting in. They just keep getting in. I don't know where they go, but they all fit in there somehow. Have you ever seen a spa on a cruise ship? I'll tell you what, that is some scary shit right there. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to go anywhere near that. You're more likely to have a lot of organics in the water. And because you have more organics in the water, that means that if you were using chlorine, you'd end up with chloramine. If you're using bromine, you end up with bromamines. They're very creative in the way they name these things. Bromamines are still a very effective sanitizer and they don't have an odor, whereas chloramines, even though that's what your municipality uses when they chlorinate the water, they chloraminate the water. So it's never a bad idea to check your fill water to see what you're dealing with from time to time, what you're adding to that body of water because it helps you come up with a plan. There is no right or wrong way, although I wouldn't use bromine in an outdoor pool or an outdoor spa just simply because the bromine will react with the UV from the sun's rays, and what you'll end up with is bromate, which is a disinfection byproduct, so let's stay away from using bromine outside, but indoors it's fine. After that, there is no right way and wrong way for you to choose which sanitizer you use. A lot of it's very market-specific what people are using, that doesn't mean that that's what you have to use. The most important thing is you take everything that we just spoke about and you come up with which disinfectant works best in your protocol of care for taking care of pools or for taking care of the pool at your facility because that's the important thing, how well you do your job with what you choose to do it with. These are your tools. 
You're the doctor. The pool's the patient. You decide the best way to care for it. That's all I have for you today. This is Disinfection. And I'm Rudy with Aquatic Facility Training and Consultants. And like I said, you can find me at cpoclass.com. If you need a class, check the CPO certification schedule tab. There you'll find both my in-person and virtual classes. If you just want to practice a little bit more, study some more, I've got flashcards. They are on that CPO practice test tab as well as a practice test and a lot of other things that can help you brush up on your skills. Until next Thursday, I'm out. Be good. Be safe. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 